and the paradigm shift is moving from you know what is wrong with you to this idea of asking the question what happened to you Hello and welcome to this month's episode of the FBI National Academy Associates Leadership APB podcast series. My name is Laura Masterton and I'm the Director of Special Projects and Training Coordinator for the Association. It's a pleasure to introduce and have with us today Chris Fries, retired FBI Special Agent in Charge and former Executive Director of the Mississippi Department of Human Services. Chris, thank you for being with us today. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Chris, you served in the FBI for 23 years, with your last position being the special agent in charge for the Jackson Field Office. Since you retired, I understand you've been advocating for a trauma-informed approach to leadership. Can you share how you came to advocate for this type of leadership? Yes, Laura. Thanks. Great question. I arrived in Jackson, Mississippi uh, back in the fall of 2016, and when I got here, you know, I'm trying to learn the lay of the land, trying to understand my role as SAC better. And I started looking around and I realized uh, pretty quickly that Jackson had a lot of violence and particularly gun violence. And in fact, uh, doing some research from our own statistics, I realized that Jackson was in the top 10 in the nation per capita for murders and manslaughters. And I know that doesn't get the attention that the proverbial Chicago's, Baltimore's, others that you see a lot, but it's a big deal. And I'm trying to understand, you know, why is all this happening? And, you know, again, why do we always seem to see the same people, you know, over and over again, or from the same families or same situations? And it was really bothering me. Uh, I was really trying to wrap my head around it. And I got to know a, a, a man who has become a friend since then. And he said, look, if you got time, I want to take you out to one of the local high schools. There's about 10 young men there who are struggling and making some good decisions, and maybe we can help them out. And I said, sure, it'd be great. So we arrived in uh, what we would call the inner city and pulled up to the high school and, you know, gates and fences around the high school and windows broken and, you know, it just looked run down. And we went into the school, finally got to the library and where we're going to meet these young men. And um, here they were sitting in front of us, 10 young men, and, and they started sharing their stories. And, you know, one young man, this is about October of the following year, and school had started in August. And he said, you know, I've, I've been suspended from school longer than I've been in school. And another young man said, I'm tired of disappointing my mama. But I think it was really that third young men or a third young man who said to me, you know, I hadn't seen my father in a while. He's been in jail. I don't know, Laura, something about all that coming together and everything I've been learning. It's like, you know, I just, I've got to better understand this. And so I did some research and I came away with a, a, a new knowledge and understanding of something called adverse childhood experiences. And there's about 10 of them. It's from a study in the, in the nineties and you know, it won't surprise anybody when you realize that these ACEs are you know, physical, emotional, sexual abuse, physical, emotional neglect, household dysfunctions like mental illness and domestic violence, divorce, separation, um, you know, somebody incarcerated uh, in jail. We, you know, we understand these things, but how they play out not only in childhood, but throughout the rest of our lives, man, it really opened my eyes to 
helping me better understand what some of the challenges were, particularly for law enforcement. Many people are aware of traumatic events in people's lives, but what does trauma-informed mean? Yeah, you know, it's a question that I get from time to time, and uh, I suppose it has different answers. And the one that I use, the one that I think is most widely uh, recognized is by the, uh, of all things, the you know, federal government, one of the uh, departments of mental health. And, and they define trauma-informed as this, an event or a series of events or a set of circumstances uh, that an individual experiences either physically or emotionally that's life-threatening and has lasting adverse effects on their functioning and their mental, uh, physical, social, spiritual well-being. And, you know, sort of this encompassing their entire life. And it's not just, I mean, there are events that certainly are traumatic uh, at the moment, like, you know, a, a bad car accident, a, something that, you know, many of our law enforcement officers face on a regular basis. But the the ones that, that I'm talking about, the, the trauma that I keep talking and, and sharing is what happens in childhood that is affecting the decisions people are making in adulthood? Uh, how does that play out? And, and one of the things I learned, like these 10 young men I just talked about, you know, the trauma that they face in their lives that led them to making the bad decisions just won't go away when they're 18 years old. It's going to follow them into adulthood. And this trauma actually affects our executive functioning capability. It affects our ability to be resilient uh, and to have that high level of well-being that we're always looking for. And, and so I'm interested in looking at being trauma-informed, coming to the situation in a, with an understanding that says, okay, let's talk about what happened in the past and how that affects what's happening now. Chris, how does being trauma-informed play out in the law enforcement community? Well, you know, there's a couple of different ways it plays out. And the first thing I think I'd like, you know, law enforcement officers to understand is just because you strapped on a badge and a gun and took an oath in office doesn't mean that you yourself are immune from the effects of trauma. You know, when I talked about this study that came out in the 90s and you know, one of the things I found was that out of these 10, and they aren't the only 10, there are other ten, the other uh, adverse childhood experiences such as racism and bullying and violence and poverty, things that we recognize now are certainly long-term traumatic events, particularly on children. But when they were doing the study, uh, they found that like 64% had at least one of these 10. And then when they delved in it further, they found that like 12.5% had at least four or more of these 10. So if you, you know, you'd run the numbers, and I'm certainly no math whiz, but you run the numbers based on our population here in the United States, and all of a sudden you realize that about 40 million people in the United States have four or more of these adverse childhood experiences. And when you have four or more, then there's this correlation with your health. Right. We, we talk about well-being. We talk about our mental health and those are all fine. But from just the, the health standpoint that we can understand is that all of a sudden, if you have four or more, your life expectancy on average is about five to 10 years less than everybody else. You know, you have two and a half times more likely to have diseases such as hepatitis or lung disease. You're you know, maybe six times more likely uh, to have engaged in some type of premarital sex. You're seven times more likely to become an alcoholic. You're 12 times more likely 
to commit suicide or try to commit suicide. And so you see all these things play out uh, in people's lives. And again, for our law enforcement community, if we've not had the relationships that we all need, all of a sudden we're bringing our background to our job. And we're in, already in a high stress and a environment that is can be volatile and, and we bring in this trauma and all of a sudden we see it playing out uh, in multiple ways. And unless it's been mediated, it's going to have lasting effects. And I'm sure that, you know, many of your listeners, you know, know that suicide amongst law enforcement officers is extremely high. Uh, in fact, I'd read some uh, literature not too long ago that said it's law enforcement officers have the highest risk of suicide than any other profession. And it just kind of hit me. It's like, you know, the people that got into this work, most likely, if you asked them to say to help others, uh, are oftentimes the ones that are most need of help themselves. Uh, because if we have a suicide rate that's that's higher than average and amongst all professions, that's that's something we need to be uh, open to and, and, and cognizant of and try to understand how do we how do we address it and and so I think that you know being trauma informed is it really encompasses like these four R's you know the first is realizing the impact of trauma and that's what we've been talking about you know realizing that trauma impacts people certainly as I said these one time events and and even in adulthood but it's affecting them as children and it's playing out in their lives. The second R is recognizing, recognizing these signs and symptoms of trauma, these behaviors that people exhibit, you know, how they interact with others, how they respond under stress. How, do this, how does trauma play out in their lives? Uh, the third R is responding, right? We need to respond with knowledge that says, I know how to uh, address and work with this individual because I'm trauma-informed, because I understand uh, what it means to have trauma in their lives, and I understand how to connect with, with people. Uh, you know, I'm, I talk a lot about uh, leadership, and, you know, we've all got our favorite books that we've read, and uh, I just got done rereading Brene Brown's Daring Greatly, uh, and it's some great stuff in there, and, and all of a sudden you realize that uh, vulnerability is an important asset of being a good leader, but we don't like to show our vulnerability. But I think if we embrace that vulnerability, then we're more likely and more apt to ask questions and to be able to engage with people and understand how it's affecting their lives and being willing to look up and understand trauma. Finally, the fourth R is resisting re-traumatizing people. It's something that I think we do because we don't know how to respond. You know, we I think we uh, say things to people, we have certain dark humor, we uh, chide and dismiss and uh, denigrate people because we don't understand. And I think it's all out of a position of uh, lack of understanding. And, and so I think without knowing it, we can re-traumatize people uh, because we're bringing things up from their past that were issues and their triggers. Uh, and people start to go off. If you ever asked, kind of wondered, uh, when you say something to somebody or somebody sees something and all of a sudden their behavior changes, uh, either they become more volatile or they start to shut down. Uh, and you go, what, what in the world happened to that person? Why why'd they respond that way? Well, there's a high probability that something that was just said or done triggers a reaction 
from the emotions that stem from trauma that was mitigated from their childhood. And they don't, that's how they respond in this behavior, right? They all of a sudden uh, start acting a certain way. You can see that in your peers and your law enforcement peers. You can see that in management when they do or don't make good decisions. And you can see that on the streets when you're out there with your community uh, and people making the decisions they make or the, the lack of decisions that they make. It's a, a lot of it goes toward the trauma. And if we say things or do things that might eventually re-traumatize people, then we're just repeating that cycle and you know nothing changes. That might be a longer answer for what trauma-informed means, but it really is that realizing, recognizing, responding, and resisting uh, that can make a difference. It's just, it takes time. It's not a snap your fingers and it's done, uh, but it takes time, and uh, but it's worth it. It's worth it. You see lives change. I really appreciate that answer, Chris. I can tell that you're very passionate about this. Are there other ways being trauma-informed or being a trauma-informed leader can be seen in the law enforcement community? Yeah, and I appreciate you saying that about being passionate. I am passionate about it. I mean, I retired from the FBI knowing I wanted to somehow share this message. And it's, you know, it's it's an ongoing, evolving uh, effort and work. But, you know, I see it amongst our law enforcement community. And I I see them struggling and dealing with things on a day-to-day basis. And uh, I'm thinking, you know, again, at the heart of a lot of this is trauma. And, and just to pick two areas in addition to sort of suicide that we talked about within the ranks, uh, I think you could look at uh, juvenile justice and you could look at domestic violence. And maybe you might incorporate those separately. You might look at them uh, as sort of part of crisis intervention. But, you know, when, when an officer uh, receives a call to show up at a location, uh, it's a crisis going on. There's something wrong. Now, we may not see it as a crisis, but certainly the person who called does. And to think that there might be something that is going on in their lives from not just you know something that happened at this moment, but maybe as a continuation of what went on in their childhood really is a paradigm shift. And you really are seeing things uh, differently. Uh, and so I think that you know when officers show up, it'd be nice, it'd be beneficial to realize that what it's happened then in their past, in a person's past that you're dealing with, is really the answer to why something's happening now, right? So you've got, you know, juvenile justice, uh, kids that come in contact with juvenile justice system. You know, Don, let me just say this. I'm talking about adverse childhood experiences and talking about uh, the struggles and the, and the effects in adulthood, but there's not a, it's a correlation. It's not a causation. Right. Just because you had these bad events happen in your childhood does not mean you're destined to end up in jail. You're destined to have all these issues. But when you look at the people who do end up in jail, when you look at the people who do have these significant health issues, you can look and see that they are high in these adverse childhood experiences. And so like in Florida, they've done a number of studies amongst the juvenile justice system and somewhere between like 95 and almost 100% of the kids that end up incarcerated in detention centers are high in ACEs. And even if something as simple as, you know, putting a kid in the backseat of a squad car uh, can all of a sudden, you know, set these kids down a road that uh, we wouldn't even think twice about initially, but they have compounding effects. And uh, I, I think, you know, the juveniles 
uh, a really a place where we can you can make a difference. I think it's something that uh, if we have any hope of changing tomorrow uh, and what tomorrow looks like, then our ability to affect juveniles uh, today is extremely important. And so, you know, domestic violence, right? You know, you show up at a domestic violence uh, call uh, and my guess is it's not the first time that officer shown up and it may not be the last time an officer has shown up. And I had a chance to work with a group of men who had been ordered by the court to attend a domestic violence batterers intervention program. And I, I worked with them for a number of, of months uh, as part of a bigger program. And I can tell you that they all had multiple ACEs and you could, you could see, I mean, it was easy to see this generational trauma. Right. It wasn't they just woke up one day and thought, well, you know, I, I think I'll you know, commit domestic violence against my spouse or partner. No, something that was in their background led to them thinking this is the only answer I have or this is how I was taught to deal with conflict was to lash out, to be violent uh, and to do things against my partner. And that's how we continue to perpetuate uh, the issues. And so how do we intervene? How do we disrupt that? Uh, and it's, again, as I said, it's not easy, but it is a way of thinking and understanding. And when you can talk to somebody on the scene in a way that perhaps they've not been talked to before, ask them questions that they've not been asked before, try to connect with them in a ways that nobody else has tried to connect with them before, then I think we start to make that difference. And in the literature on uh, adverse childhood experiences, on literature on trauma, uh, they talk about this paradigm shift from the perspective of sort of either sometimes verbally, but certainly internally thinking to yourself, what is wrong with you? Right. I mean, that's a question that, you know, we probably heard ourselves multiple times, you know, when we've done something, a, a person, authority figure would say, what is wrong with you? Uh, implying that something is wrong with you. You aren't smart. You aren't somebody who's intelligent enough to make a better decision. Uh, and the paradigm shift is moving from, you know, what is wrong with you to this idea of asking the question, what happened to you? Now, you can literally ask that question, you know, what happened to you in, child happened to you in childhood? Or you can at least approach that person with an understanding that something probably did happen in their childhood that led them to the situation that they're in now. And, you know, we look around and, uh, I had a, I remember reading a, a police chief magazine from a few years back, and they'd surveyed police chiefs about the, the threats or the issues going on in their communities. And I mean, it's not going to surprise you when they come back and say that substance abuse, mental health, and homelessness, you know, top the list. And again, somebody just didn't wake up that morning and said, you know what, I think I'll just become addicted to meth today because I got nothing better to do. You know, somebody didn't wake up and say, I just think I'll start sleeping in a box under the bridge because, you know, living in a house or an apartment or something is, is no longer conducive to the way I want to live. Something happened in their lives that has led them to where they are now. And it's not just a single event. It, and we have to, I think we have to understand that and approach individuals with that understanding and uh, in, in trying to, so that we can better help them. You know, we, you know, just taking somebody down to a homeless shelter or dropping them off in a mental health clinic, 
they may need that help right then, but what they definitely need is some understanding uh, that lets them know that the officer is approaching them uh, in a way that can be safe, psychologically safe, both for the officer and for the person on the street. Uh, and it begins with this paradigm shift of, you know, what's wrong with you to what happened to you. Uh, and so I think that that's, you know, certainly part of what, uh, how we see, how we can see being trauma-informed play out in our communities and, you know, where I would at least like the conversation to begin. Right, right. Um, if you were to summarize trauma-informed leadership when it comes to law enforcement, what would you tell them? That we definitely need it. Uh, <laughs> I was looking back at an article I wrote for the uh, FBI's Law Enforcement Bulletin that was published back in April of 2019, and uh, I came up with three things that you know we needed, and that was early in my understanding. Uh, and I would have thought, well, you know, if things have evolved. I would have come up with something better. And I went back and looked at it and said, you know, it's it's really still pretty good. And the the answers are we need to demonstrate the leadership. We need to express our vulnerability and we need to communicate our expectations. And I think that that's uh, extremely important uh, when it comes to being trauma informed. Right. Demonstrating leadership is demonstrating you have an understanding a com- more complete understanding of what the problems are, what the challenges are, uh, what the reasons are that we see crime, that we see issues playing out in our society. You know, I remember, you know, not recently, the uh, retired chief of police from Santa Monica, Cynthia Renaud, she's uh, the, believe the current president of the IACP, you know, there's an article where she said, here are the challenges facing law enforcement. She named off things like the pandemic and civil unrest and calls to defund the police and, you know, just economic problems and, you know, political polarity and not to mention recruiting and retention and officer well-being and, and even just the morale issues in the department. It's like, man, I don't want to deal with one of those things, much less all of those. But yet they're all coming together to weigh on the well-being of our law enforcement uh, agencies. And I was looking at that list and it's like, you know, the one thing that sort of jumps out at me, particularly when I start thinking about trying to be a, a, a better leader, a more effective leader, and what I would help try to communicate is that at the, that at the heart or the thread that runs through all those issues is trust. And I know that the community needs to trust the police and I'm sure in some of the communities that, you know, spout off defund the police and other, other slogans that maybe their trust level is low. Uh, But you know what? Uh, I'm convinced that the police need to be able to trust the community as well, right? It's a two way street. And when there is a lack of trust, uh, when trust is, uh, broken because we fail to fully understand each other's positions, uh, then I think we continue to see this downward spiraling effect. And I'm convinced, maybe it doesn't solve and address every last problem, but I'm convinced that most of those challenges uh, are brought about because of trauma and that the trust 
that we're looking for is undermined or eroded because of trauma. Uh, and if we're looking for our community policing efforts to be more successful, if we're hoping to you know, empower not only our officers, but our communities, and then we're going to have to understand how to communicate with each other. Uh, and because it's only, it's only in understanding the answer to the question, what happened to you? Do we come to a point where we can thrive? Really, that's, and that's what we want. We want to be able to thrive. Our officers want to thrive in their own job and they're professionally, and they want to have a, a, a thrive, be thr- able to thrive in their personal lives. And we want our communities to do the same. And the only way we do that is to create this, uh, I guess, symbiotic relationship that says we are willing and from all efforts to provide this safe, stable, and nurturing or empowering place to live. Uh, and, and I think it begins with asking the questions uh, that come or stem from uh, a better understanding of, of trauma. Um, you know, Laura, I, th- I think that we've talked a, a lot, not just today, but in general, we talk a lot about, you know, the historical problems that we have and, you know, we're trying to better address them. And I don't know, I'm, I'm just convinced that we continue to try to put band-aids on issues and, and we don't really get to the root causes of what's happening uh, in people's lives. Uh, and I look at this, the root cause as trauma. The root cause is trauma. And antidote is trauma-informed leadership. And that's what I've been promoting since I retired, even before I retired. But that's what I've been promoting the last few years. And that's what I'm going to continue to promote uh, is this idea. If we are better informed about the impact of trauma, then we will be able to provide a better response to our communities uh, and be able to thrive throughout it uh, because we've taken the time to shift our paradigm uh, and to demonstrate that leadership to brace the vulnerability and to set expectations in a way that, that we can all move forward. I never realized that trauma from your childhood could actually bleed over to your life as an adult and into your professional career. Chris, I really want to thank you for sharing your knowledge and your position on trauma-informed leadership. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Laura. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this month's episode of Leadership APB. Please be sure to join us on the first Wednesday of every month for the latest episode of our podcast series. Until then, please stay safe and be well.